and welcome to church. It is my honor to welcome you today from wherever you are watching this service. Church, make no mistake about it. Right here, right now, we are having church. We've been saying for a long time that church is not a building, church is a people. And right now there are people gathered together from all around the world singing songs and worshiping our Father. Jesus once said that that he was going to build his church on this rock and the gates of hell would not be able to prevail against it. And man, I don't know about you, but, but we're in the middle of the season where it just feels like hell is throwing just about everything it has at us. Uh, I picture, picture Satan like I picture the Grinch trying to steal Christmas sometimes, right? Like, man, I'm gonna go in and take all their stuff and then I'm gonna ruin their spirit and they're not gonna get up and be able to sing and have that joy and have, have that hope. And then the Grinch wakes up on Christmas morning and all of a sudden all the Who's down in Whovilles are just continuing to sing even without all the fancy stuff, right? Man, I picture Satan this morning waking up going, ah, I think we stopped it. We just threw everything we have at the church. I think we finally figured out a way to stop the church from advancing. I don't know if Satan actually wakes up, but if he does, what he heard this morning is that here in Austin, in Texas, in this country, and all throughout the world, the church was gathered together in condos and apartments and homes, and we just keep singing our hallelujahs a little bit louder and a little bit louder and a little bit louder. And when the persecution gets harder, we just keep singing a little bit louder and a little bit louder. And when our neighbors start to get lonely, we just start to encourage them a little bit more because the church is like a nail. The more you hit it, the deeper it goes. So make no mistake about it, church. We are having church right now. And I just chugged a Red Bull and I don't usually do that. So I have no idea what is about to happen. But this is week two of In the Shadow of a Pandemic. Doug talked last week about how when we're in the shadow of the pandemic, we get sobered up to to eternity. This week, I have one goal, one thing that I want to communicate to us. Uh, I want to ask the question, in the shadow of a pandemic, as followers of Jesus, how should we treat other people? How should we treat each other? How should we treat our neighbors? How should we treat our friends? How should we treat our coworkers? How should we treat our families? And some of you are are spending a, a whole bunch of quality time with your families right now, aren't you? And maybe it's beautiful. Maybe it's a little hard. It's probably a mixture of both of those things in the shadow of the pandemic. How do we as Jesus followers come alive? And I have the honor today of preparing us for what we're celebrating a week from now with Easter. Talked to somebody a couple of weeks ago who was, was talking about how how uh, Easter, their, their Easter service was getting canceled. She lives in Kansas and she's just bummed and it just feels weird, right, that we're not gonna be able to, to meet for Easter. And I thought about it for a second and I realized, man, how much of an honor is it that we get to tell and retell and retell and retell a story this week about how right when things are, are at their darkest point, right when hope, starts to feel lost. We have a God who says it's right there in that moment that hope started breathing. 
We have a God that right in that moment said, hey, light's gonna start growing again, right? We have a God who, who says, yeah, things might look lost right now on Friday and Saturday, but Sunday is coming. And so today, to prepare us for what's happening next week, I very, very simply want to read us a story about a meal. It's a famous meal that Jesus had with his disciples all those years ago, the night that he was betrayed. Even if this is your first time watching something like this, a church service like this, hey, let me first say thank you so much for joining us today. If a friend just sent you a link to this and you're like, hey, I was just watching Parks and Rec, but I got tired of reruns, so I'll give this whole church thing a try. I'm not sure if I agree with anything this guy's saying. Can I just say thank you for trusting us? Thank you for being here. We love you. We believe that we have way more in common than we have apart. And no matter what your life has looked like, we're believing that God has big plans for your life, that the best is still to come. I want to encourage you to, to stay with us. Just hear me out. Hear, hear what we have to say today as we open God's word. Matthew 26. We're going to start in verse 26. It says this. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Famous meal, famous story that takes place right in the middle of one of the craziest storms that anybody has ever been in. This is hours before Jesus was betrayed. And so I thought this would be a good landing point for us as we find ourselves in the shadow of this pandemic. Because as Doug said yesterday, John 1, 5 writes that the light shines even in the darkness and the darkness has not been able to over it and man, I, I'm just believing that as we unpack this story, as we unpack this story, some things are going to start to change in your life. Hey, even if you had a tough week, even if this has been the hardest week uh, of your life, I believe that light is about to shine through. And so I simply titled this talk, Make Room at the Table, because in the shadow of the pandemic, what do we do as Christians? We make room at the table for everybody, and that includes you. So somebody turn to your neighbor right now and say, make room at the table. Make room at the table digitally. <laughs> we can't do it like in person right now, but hey, we got technology. And so we can be sending texts, we can be making phone calls, we can be having Zoom calls, we can get creative about how we let the whole world know that nobody is alone right now. I wanna say a prayer for this service, and then we'll spend a few minutes talking about this faithful night where Jesus made room at the table. So Father God, thank you that the church cannot be stopped. We're here to celebrate that today. I pray for every soul listening, watching, whatever platform they're watching from, Lord, would you speak to us? You know what we all need. 
Speak to each soul individually, Lord. We love you so much. Meet us here. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen, amen. Have you ever found yourself asking what's next? Like, have you ever found yourself in a moment where you go, hey, uh, what do we do now? I, uh, several years ago, was traveling through Nicaragua with some friends, and uh, it was their Independence Day. And uh, if you're watching this from Nicaragua, man, you guys know how to celebrate. And uh, it was like a blast. It was a party. There was, everybody was out in the streets, and I was having a, a blast, and it was just a, a good time. But have you ever been in one of those social uh, situations where you're like, this is really fun, this is really fun. And then a few minutes go by and you're like, okay, this is really fun, but I'm like a little tired right now. And then a few more minutes go by and you're like, okay, this is like a little bit too much for me, right? Like this was a little bit before I, I was self-aware enough to know how introverted uh, I was, right? And so my energy was just like tanking. And uh, we were staying with this host family, this beautiful, awesome host family, and uh, I put on like 15 pounds while I was there because they just kept feeding us over and over and over again. And then uh, at night, uh, I wasn't a coffee drinker at, at the time, but they would make, it was, it was coffee and milk, but it was actually more like a whole bunch of milk with a little bit of coffee, you know? And so I could actually hang with it back then. These days I'm addicted to it, but it's socially acceptable, and I'm an imperfect person, so, so what can you do, right? But um, at, at the time, right, I'm like, oh, I can actually, like, hang. I can actually enjoy this drink. So as I'm, like, out at this celebration, all I'm thinking about is getting back to the host family's house, sitting down with my nice glass of milk with a little bit of coffee in it and watching some, some soccer and hanging out and listening to my family, my host family make fun of my broken Spanish, right? Like that's all I want to do. But as I'm walking through the streets, we start to realize, hey, um, we've been trying to get back to our van for a long time and we actually have no idea where it is. So like every block we would turn the corner and like, I think we parked on this street, but then the van wouldn't be there. I think we parked on this street, the van wouldn't be there. Finally, we get to the van. I get inside. I'm sitting shotgun in this van and I take a deep breath, right? Because when you're in the van, it's like, okay, you fellow introverts out there know what I'm talking about. It's like you're safe. You can breathe for a second. And I'm looking straight ahead. I got my seatbelt on. And it's that moment where the car is supposed to turn on, you know? And, and, and you can feel like the driver starting to stare at you, but you refuse to make eye contact with them because you're like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not even going to address what's wrong right now. And another moment and another moment and another moment. And suddenly I realize our van's not turning on. Van won't start, right? And so uh, my buddy Steven's like, hey, man, I don't know what's going on. This van won't start. Mind you, there's like thousands of people all around us just celebrating and, and having a, a good time. So in a moment of confidence, I go, hey guys, don't worry. I got this, right? And I, I reach for uh, the flashlight that's in our, uh, our driving box. What are you, driving box? I don't even know what, it, what it's called. What, what, what do we, there's nobody here to answer me. Whatever. I, I reach and I grab the flashlight and I walk out of the car and I'm like making this march over to, to the hood. And I, I do this. I do, I do one of these. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. Hey, pop the hood. 
<laughs> right? You like make it sound like you know what, what you're saying. And so the hood pops up. And so with so much confidence, I like reach under and get the lever that you have to pull to make the thing come up. And I, I put the, the deal there that stops it from falling down. And my buddy Steven's looking at me like, man, this guy knows what he's doing. And then I turn around and I go, and now I have no idea what to do. And Steven looks at me and he's like, are you serious? <laughs> like, like you walked out of the, the van with so much confidence just a, a second ago. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. This is where it ends for me now. I have no idea where to go from here. Like, what do you think? And he's like, I don't know. You were kind of leading this thing. And I was like, I got us this far. And he's like, this isn't anywhere. We haven't done anything yet because we're looking at this thing and it's just an engine and a battery and a whole bunch of cables. And we have no idea what to do. Life throws some of those moments at us, doesn't it? What do we do now? By the way, in that moment, a guy walks by. He might have been an angel. I have no idea. We start talking to him, and he calls over one of his buddies, and he goes, hey, he's a mechanic. And so this, this guy that we've never met comes over. It's like 11 o'clock at night at this point, and he's working on our van. And I'm like, man, this could go one of two ways. But, but like there's people in the van, you know. So I'm like, yeah, he's a mechanic. He's working on it. We're fine. We're fine. And I'm back there praying like, oh, oh God, please just let this work. And he goes, hey, try it now. <laughs> they try it, and the thing just turns on. And I had no money at the time. So I was like, can I give you my shirt off my back? Like, thank you so much. You just saved our lives, but life throws a whole lot of, well, what do we do now moments at us. The reason I love scripture is because uh, it doesn't just like, it's not this just ethereal book that leaves us hanging. The Bible is full of these, what do we do now moments as well, which I take a, a lot of comfort in, especially in times like this. Well, what do we do now, maybe, maybe for you, you just graduated from school, but now you have all these student loans stacking up and you don't know what your job's going to be and nobody's hiring and you're looking around like, man, what do I do now? Maybe uh, you, you guys just got married, you and your spouse just got married, but now you're, you're living together and you're quarantined together and you're, you're learning all of these things uh, about each other and it's a hard time right now and you're looking at each other like, man, what do we do now? You finally got pregnant and had, had your first kid and then brought your kid home from the hospital and you're looking at each other like, man, what do we do now? Or how about just in this last month, this has been all of us, right? Man, there's no toilet paper at the store, no eggs at the store. I got up so early the other day to go get eggs at the store. It was like this big victory moment for me. But the first time you walk down the aisle and there's no eggs there, you go, man, what, what do we do now? Maybe you got sick. Maybe somebody that you know got sick. Man, what, what do we do now, maybe you're watching your 401k start to plummet. What do we do now? Maybe you're losing half of your clients. What do we do now? The Bible gives us comfort because the Bible is about real people who went through real things. And this moment that we just read about where Jesus uh, takes all of his boys up to an upper room to, to have this final meal is like the ultimate what do we do now moment. Think about it. Jesus has been with his disciples for the last three years, and they walk into to Jerusalem. It's the, the final week leading up to when he's going to get betrayed, and now it's the final few hours, and he's looking around the room going, 
Okay, let's see here. I've got a couple of ordinary fishermen, uneducated, great. I've got a zealot. Uh, Thaddeus hasn't said a word in like three years. And uh, I've got a tax collector named Matthew. That's really cool. Honestly, like my, my, my best guy, or at least my most qualified guy, is this guy named Judas who's about to betray me. Like these are the guys that are supposed to go start the greatest movement of love the world has ever seen. What do I do now? If I were Jesus, thank God I'm not, but if I were Jesus, I'd be like, all right, guys, come here, come here. Time is limited. Get your journals out or your parchment or however that, that works. I'm going to give you the 10 do's and don'ts of church planning, you know, like parking lot. Parking lot's got to be on point. Like kids rock, you got to make sure that the kids ministry is good. Make sure that the worship is just perfect and the messages, right? Like I would, I would be like laying out all these do's and don'ts for how to start the church. That's not what Jesus did, is it? What Jesus did instead is he goes, hey, let's go have a meal together. Final hours of his life, Jesus decided to go to the table. And I love it. Because what Jesus understood and what I'm beginning to learn is that in the middle of the pandemic, in the middle of the storm, what we need way more than a bunch of do's and don'ts is a reminder that we have a seat at the table. Uh, let me show you, you this because uh, the disciples are, are moving up. Like I picture the disciples walking into that upper room. And I, I want to just take you through this night visually because I'm a, a visual person. Like, like they, they walk into the upper room and I picture Matthew. Remember Matthew, he was a tax collector, right? Matthew, the tax collector, walks in to this upper room. And I don't think they really had name tags, by the way, like when they walked in. It's just how my mind works. So, so Matthew walks in to the upper room and he sees a seat for himself at the table, an invitation to come sit at the table. And I bet you Matthew has a flashback to about three years earlier in Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9 says this, As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector booth. Matthew was a tax collector. Let me tell you why this is, is so important. Tax collectors in these days were hated by everyone. And part of it, the, the common thought is, yeah, because they were like kind of sketchy, right? So if you owed them 20 bucks, they would take 40 bucks, and then they would pocket the other 20 bucks. And that's true right? But, but there was more to it than that. It wasn't just that tax collectors were, were also traitors because Rome ruled the known world at the time. How do you rule the world? You have to have a very big military. How do you fund a military? You tax the very people that you are oppressing. How do you find people to take the money from people? You find individuals who are willing to turn their back on their own people to make a couple of bucks. Matthew was one such person. He was a tax collector, which means that everybody in Jesus' crew would be like, no, 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 not him, Jesus, not Matthew. Let's look at what Jesus says. He sees Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth, and he says, follow me. He told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. So everybody, everybody present would have gone, well, everybody present would have gone, not Matthew. 
not Matthew, anybody but him, Jesus goes, that guy's got a seat at the table. That guy's got a seat at the table. So imagine Matthew coming back three years later now, Passover meal. Jesus is going, hey, it's time for, for one last meal. Matthew walks in and he realizes, man, hey, I got a seat at the table. I still have a seat at the table and nothing will ever change that. Here's why, why I'm taking so much time to tell you uh, about Matthew. I, I've met with a lot of people over the years and I would say 90% of the time, the questions that they are asking me about God, here's like the underlying question beneath it all. Hey, am I okay? Hey, hey, am I accepted? Hey, am I enough? Hey, do I have a seat at the table? And can uh, I just say this? Um, if Matthew has a seat at the table, that means that we all have a seat at the table. Matthew is the guy that is forgotten about, hated, right? Ignored by everybody except for Jesus. See, because Jesus has this beautiful way of looking at people and not seeing their resume, right? Not seeing their, their audition that they're bringing to the table, instead seeing their humanity, going, imago Dei, you're made in the image of God, you're my son, you're my daughter, you're with me, you've got a seat at the table. See, before we even start talking about making room for our, our peers at the table, what we have to understand is that we have a seat at the table. And what I'm trying to get at here is if Matthew has a seat at the table, that means that you and I have a seat at the table too. Now, hey, I know that I wasn't actually there that night, and I know that you weren't actually there that, that night, but stay with me here because here's the thing. I think that you and I, I'll just throw, I'll, I'll just use myself. Hey, I waste so much energy throughout the week auditioning for a seat that I already have. So much energy throughout the week auditioning for a, a seat that I already have. Like, like, it might just be me, but does anybody else feel like from the moment that you wake up in the morning, there's some director who, who's, who's got you like on, on camera, there's all these people watching you going, hey, all right, man, here's your audition. Here's your chance. The, the lights are on. Perform for us. Show us what you got, right? And so, so I step out into my house, into the world, into whatever I'm doing, and it's like every action and interaction that I, I have, I'm trying to prove to people that I'm enough until finally I get home at the end of the night and I, I can go like, and scene, right? Like uh, enough with the act, I can get into bed, but then it gets worse because I, then I, I stay up all night overthinking all of those interactions and all of those actions and wondering how they were perceived, right? I'm auditioning for a seat that I already have. Man, did I, did I talk enough? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Did I talk too much? Right? Man, was I funny enough? Did they think I, I, I was funny when I was saying all those things? Wait, did some of those jokes offend some people? Wait, was I open enough? I wanted to share my, my heart with them. Wait, was I too vulnerable, right? It's like this lose-lose dance that we get in the middle of, and can I just remind you, according to the Bible, we keep auditioning for a role that we already have. I keep auditioning for a role that I already have. So what Matthew needed to hear that night, the reason Jesus goes, hey, we're doing a meal, 
and we're going to hang out at the table is because Matthew, like me, needed to be reminded, hey, you don't have to keep auditioning for this role. Church, you already have a seat at the table. You're not good enough. You're not better at sinning than Jesus is at, at saving. So no matter what your week looked like this week, that doesn't change the fact that you have a seat at the table. Man, is that good news? It's a good reminder, especially in times like these. You might have been isolated all week. You might have been alone all week. Can I remind you that that doesn't change anything? You have a seat at the table. And we got to start there because it's about to get a little more difficult. It's not just that Matthew has a seat at the table. There's another guy who had a seat at the table too. You ever thought about that? Judas walks up to the upper room, has a seat at the table. So, in the shadow of everything that's going on right now, as men and women who are called to make room at the table for other people, what we first have to realize is we have a seat at the table. The next thing we have to realize is so do they. Who's they? They is going to be different for everybody, right? They is that person that just popped into your head that you're going, nah, not him. Not her. The ex-boss that treated you so poorly. The, the, the business partner that, that, that uh, something fell through in. The, the parent that you haven't talked to in years. The ex-boyfriend, the ex-girlfriend, the ex-spouse, whoever it, it is. Man, uh, as Doug talked about last week in the shadow of the pandemic, uh, we sober up to eternity, right? Something so beautiful can happen in the middle of this storm. And again, we're not saying the storm is good, but something so beautiful can happen in the, the middle uh, of this storm where we start to put uh, uh, some, some uh, perspective to, to the bitterness that we're holding on to, to the resentment that we're holding on to. Because everything inside of me, when I read about Jesus sharing a last meal with his friends, when he gets to Judas, I'm like, hey, Jesus, you know he's about to betray you, right? Humiliate him. Call him out, right? Put him on the spot and said, Jesus gets down on all fours and begins washing his feet. It's a really hard thing. It's very counterintuitive for us to wrap our minds around. And I would say exactly. Grace is very counterintuitive like that. I think that right now in the middle of this storm, we have this beautiful invitation to let go of some bitterness. We have a beautiful invitation to forgive. We have a beautiful invitation to take the long view and ask this question, hey, is this gonna matter 10,000 years from now? This little silly argument that I had, this little falling out that I had, is this going to matter 10,000 years from now? And again, I feel it even like the tension, people going, well, wait, 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 I know. But remember, you have a seat at the table. It's like breathing. That's our inhale, right? We, we remind ourselves, hey, I've got a seat at, at the table, which means Judas can have a seat at the table too. Now I know like boundaries, super important. And some people are, are toxic. And so you be safe, you be sensible, 
right? And, and we're not saying just let anybody back into your life, but I am saying the bitterness that you're holding onto is doing more hurt to you than it is to them. Somebody said once bitterness is like having a, a glass of poison that you wish on another person and said you're just drinking it by yourself. And I think in the shadow of this pandemic, we have a beautiful opportunity to let go of some stuff. Let go of some stuff. So maybe that looks like a, a phone call. Maybe that looks like a text. Maybe that looks like, like a FaceTime. Maybe it looks like writing a note. Maybe it looks like writing a note and never even sending it. Just processing out this stuff because the example of Jesus is make room. Make room for everybody. What about Peter? Let's talk about Peter. Everybody loves Peter. Peter, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, as they're having the, this last supper, Peter is, is sitting there going, all right, God, Jesus, I'm with you to the end. <laughs> no matter what happens, I, I'm, I'm in it to win it, Jesus. I'm your right-hand man. I'm your guy. Let's do this thing, which is great, except that a couple hours later, he was running away scared, wasn't he? Following at a distance, Matthew writes, a haunting verse to me. Too afraid to go be with Jesus, yet too uh, afraid to leave. Standing outside as Jesus is getting mocked, as Jesus is under trial and denies Jesus three times to a middle school girl. And then he goes away and he weeps bitterly. Moments after saying, hey, Jesus, I'm with you. Uh, let's do this thing. Peter is out weeping bitterly. And I love the story of Peter in this moment because the story doesn't end there. If you know the story, if you've gotten to the story, and we're going to celebrate it all week next week, but I'm going to give you a little foreshadow right now. Jesus doesn't stay dead. Jesus doesn't stay dead. He goes to the cross to pay the price for our sins. And then three days later, he's back. But Peter doesn't know that because Peter goes out and he weeps bitterly. You ever had that moment where you go, this is, God, this is the last time. This is the last time I'm drawing a line in the sand. Never again, God. I'm with you. I'm walking away from that lifestyle. I'm leaving those friends. I'm going to stop doing X, Y, Z only until like, like two weeks later. You find yourself in, in solitude and you find yourself going down the same old uh, destructive path that you swore off. You go out and you weep bitterly and you feel like, man, maybe, maybe this whole gospel thing doesn't work for me. Listen to me. Peter was back in a boat. He was back to fishing because he thought, man, this is it. This is it. Maybe I'm just meant to be a, a fisherman. But then John 21 says that Jesus, back from the dead, is walking down the shore. And he calls out to Peter. He calls out, and Peter uh, eventually realizes who he is, realizes that Jesus is back. And as the story goes, Peter is just so excited that he jumps into the water and he starts swimming to the shore. And I love picturing Peter get to the shore because he's like, hey, okay, Jesus, look, I know that I ran away and then I know that I denied you three times, but like, here's why and here's what was going on. Here's what was going on. And if you read the story, Jesus is just not interested in his talk at all, is he? What's Jesus doing? If you've read the story, you know that Jesus has another table prepared. 
Just like he did that night that he was betrayed, Jesus has another table prepared. He's got some fish. He's got some bread. He goes, hey, Peter, why don't you save, save the talk, save all the apologies, take a seat at the table. Come on, take a seat at the table. Nothing has changed, Peter. I know you denied me. I know you ran away. I know you got scared. Listen, my whole life, I would read that story where, Jesus, where Peter is denying Jesus. And here's how I would picture it. Uh, I would picture Jesus like, like looking out at his friend, being like so frustrated with Peter. Like, Peter, are you kidding me? After everything we've been through, you're gonna run away from me like that? Over the years, the more that I read Jesus, fall in love with following Jesus, the more I realize that's, I don't, I don't think that would have been how that whole situation would have played out in that moment. If you could have hit the pause button in that moment where, where, where Jesus is under trial and Peter is running away, I think Jesus would have walked right out to Peter and said, hey man, I know. I know it's hard to be human. I know it's scary to be human. I know what you're going through right now is difficult. In fact, that's why I'm doing this. That's why I'm going to the cross. Don't you see, Peter, this doesn't change anything. You didn't perform your way onto the table. You're not gonna perform your way out of the table. Peter, you still have a seat at the table. So John 21 happens and Peter swims in to, to see Jesus and Jesus just has a fire going and he has a table. Because here's the thing, hey, hey, Peter is about to start this amazing, amazing movement that we now call the church. Jesus is more interested in saying, hey, we'll get to that. We'll get to that, but first, let's eat. Uh, let's celebrate. Let's have some fellowship together. I love it because you see just a few weeks later, Peter in Acts 2 standing up with boldness, standing up and addressing thousands of people. In fact, that first day it says 3,000 people repent and start following Jesus because Peter, this guy who was too scared to even hang out with Jesus a little earlier, remembered that he has a seat at the table. Here's why I say all this. As we get ready for Easter, as we get ready to celebrate, man, I know it's gonna look different this year. We don't have to pretend like it's business as usual. Things look different this year. And yet because of technology and because of the world that we live in, we now have an opportunity, more of an opportunity than ever to let the entire world know that they have a seat at the table. We have an opportunity to let the entire world know that they're not alone. We have an opportunity right now from your couch, man. You don't have to get up. Keep eating your breakfast, keep eating whatever, whatever you're doing. You can reach out to as many people as you want right now. And so here's my challenge. Very simply this, as you remember that you have a seat at the table while we sing these last few worship songs, I wanna encourage you with a question, two questions. One, is there somebody in your life that you need to forgive? 
Is there some bitterness in your life that you need to let go of? Is there somebody in your life who you feel like doesn't belong at the table? Because, listen, listen. Jesus' love for Judas doesn't change what Judas did. I wish it did. It doesn't. We can't control how people react to our kindness, react to our forgiveness, react to, to our apologies. All we can do is be faithful and go, hey, hey, I'm sorry I've been holding on to this bitterness. I'm sorry for what I've done. Would you please forgive me? Is there somebody, is there a Judas in your life that you need to invite back to the table? My second challenge is this. Peter needed a pastor, didn't he? He needed a shepherd. He needed Jesus to surround him over and over and over again and go, Peter, you're a leader. Peter, I've got plans for you. Peter, we're going somewhere with this. Peter, you're not too far gone. Man, I believe right now that, that you, maybe now more than ever in this season that we're in, are called to be a shepherd, are called to pastor people. I wanna issue that challenge to you this week. As we get ready for Easter, would you reach out to some people? Would you reach out? Would you send some text messages of encouragement out? Hey, listen, I'm, I'm now in the season of my life where, where I have friends who for no bad reason, I've just lost contact with because life happens, life gets busy. Listen, we have this, this such amazing, unique time in history where we have a little bit of time right now. What if you just started sending out a few texts? Hey man, I love you, proud of you. Speak life over them, encourage them. Let them know that you're praying for them. Let them know that they're not alone. Just start sending out some texts. And then how about this? Start inviting people to watch our, our Easter service next week. Listen, Doug's going to bring the house down next week. He's locked and loaded, he's ready to go. He's talking all about the good news of the gospel. And I don't care who you are. I don't care what your life's look like. You need to hear it. What if we, Red Rocks Austin, made next week our Easter service the biggest win that we've ever had as the church? In the middle of the darkness, in the middle of the storm, in the middle of everything that we're going through, what if we stood our ground and drew a line in the sand and said, hey, next week, Easter service, we're going to have a victory for the kingdom of God. Children are going to come home. Children are going to remember that they have a seat at the table. Lives are gonna be changed. Hey, all it takes for us is sending a link, sending a, an invite. It's never been easier. Make some phone calls this week. Encourage some people. Pray for some people. Shoot some texts out. Have some Zoom calls. Let's get creative, man. We're the church. We're created. We're on this earth to get creative and take this world somewhere. And we were created for such a time as this. So let's be the church. Hey, listen, you have a seat at the table. And so does everybody in your community, everybody in your phone, everybody you follow on Instagram. Let's remind the world that Jesus is back from the dead and that Jesus is here to save and here to breathe life into the lonely places. Church, in the shadow of a pandemic, we get to be Jesus followers who make room at the table. And I tell you, there's no greater honor. There's nothing I'd rather devote this week to. So would you join me in this? Father God, we love you so much. Lord, we look forward to the day, the ultimate day, 
where we're all gathered together at a table like you write about in Isaiah 25, where you've got the best meat for us and the finest wine, and we're all toasting to, to, to the good old days, remembering that we got to build a church together, remembering that we got to be a light in a dark place during the coronavirus, where we're toasting the lives that, have, that were changed in those moments, the children that came home in those moments. And so Father God, right in the middle of the storm, I pray right now for anybody watching, Lord, would you surround them with your spirit, with a peace that transcends any understanding. Lord, for the lonely, for the isolated, I speak comfort. Remind them right now, they're not alone. They're not alone, that you are with them, that you love them, and you've got a seat at the table for them. So Father, as we fight our battles now through giving you praise, would you be honored? Would you be glorified? We give you this time in Jesus' name. And everybody said.